Welcome into the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. here to break down UFC 296, a final podcast of this year. Final UFC fight card of this year. Of course, we have got two title fights, a welterweight title fight. Of course, we got the flyweight title fight, which is a rematch from a matchup that took place back in 2021. We appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to check out the show here. Of course, uh, we're going to break it all down for you. Pete, how's it going, man? What's going on? Kind of sad when you when you say it in that sense of where it's just like the end of uh, MMA for 2023. Uh, we've had a great year. Um, it's been it's been fun. Lots of chaotic events. Lots of crazy outcomes in fights. Um, some sloppy fight cards, but all in all, like the fighters stepped up as they always do. So um, happy to end the year on a good note with a with a very solid card. Would have been a lot better without the cancellations. Obviously, losing Rainy Brown, Muslim Salikov. Losing Ian Gary, Vicente Luque, I mean, just two fights that I was looking forward to. Yeah, especially that price point of Vicente Luque was really sticking out to me. Uh, but of course, we you know we lost that matchup. Of course, yesterday we lose Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov, and so we'll see what happens here. Of course, we got our DraftKings contest. The contest is already live. Link is in the description below. Congratulations to Coach S Triple One taking it down the contest last week. Five hundred fifty-eight points. P one or five coming down in second. Dog seventy-four coming down there in third place over there. Uh, coaches lineup has Song Yadong, Anthony Smith. Of course, uh, I, I said this on my podcast last night, Pete. I want to give a lot of kudos to Khalil Roundtree Jr. because there is a lot of fighters that probably would have gone in there for those couple extra kill shots, but uh, yeah. he did not do that, so I got to give him kudos there. Uh, then he had uh, Hopperos. Uh, he did have Sumadarji, who got the whopping four points there. Song Kanan with 30 points. Or excuse me, that was my line. Excuse me, Tara with 101 <laughs> points. Let me pull over coach's lineup. It didn't, not, DraftKings. I was going to say, bro. Like, how, do, how do you win with that lineup? Um, Song Yudong, know, Tim Elliott, Muniz. Kudos to Muniz, 7,400 there. And, of course, uh, Steve Garcia. We talked about that last week, being a punt play. Uh, Tara and Amanda, uh, who was the uh, one loser that coach had in his lineup there. So, congratulations there. Hop in that contest for this week's contest for UFC 296. Of course, be sure to hop in that Discord channel. Totally free. Join great conversation conversation we have over there uh pete let's get right into game theory and, and as i look at this fight car come up here uh tomorrow night in las vegas as i look at some of the things i've kind of color card by the way i'll tell you this don't really have a, a lot of great uh leans over on prize picks this week i've only, actually there's only three plays on prize picks i like this week so i'll talk about that as those fights go on but to me, where it starts is the main event, co-main event. I, I think you have to prioritize both of these matchups, and I think prioritizing them in, in two different ways. I think that the reality is the main event likely is going to hit the championship rounds, probably goes all 25 minutes, most likely. The co-main event, I think, is a little bit of a different story. I don't think that fight's probably hitting round three, unless we see maybe a totally different mindset from Brand Roy Val. I mean, this is a guy, he, he's a wild man in there, and, and he's going to take chances, he's going to fight with chaos. So to me, that is where it starts for me, is prioritizing the main event and co-main event. Yeah, I think that's basic roster construction, is just the 8,200, 8,000 fight always sneaks into the into the optimal lineup more often than not, and uh, th then you attach five rounds to it. So with, with a lot on the line between uh, Leon Edwards and, and Kobe Covington, I think it's a, a great starting point, um, you know, and a very unique pivot uh, if you're bold enough to do so. I, I'm not necessarily bold enough to do so because I do think the winner scores pretty high. You have a pace pusher in Kobe Covington priced at 8000 So it's an excellent underdog, you know, selection as far as just like, 
a slight underdog at a, at a very reasonable price tag. And on the other side, we have Leon Edwards, uh, the champ at 8,200. So not, not often do you get, you know, such ramifications at such a discount for, for DFS. So um, that, that's a nice starting point. Co-main events, interesting, right? Because you could see that swing in a, uh, in a multiple different ways. So it's like, you know, we, we saw in the first matchup between Brandon Royville and uh, Alessandre Pantoja where, like, Brandon Royville is just dangerous against everybody. I, I don't think that he lets his opponents get, com- get comfortable at all. Um, he constantly throws high volume. He throws sneaky, dangerous techniques. Like, he'll throw a lead knee a lot, has excellent work with his elbows, pretty big for the division. Um, You know, and, and then you did see Pantoja tire early in that first bout, but then he he's, you know, overcame came the adversity and, and put it on Brandon Royval. And I actually think like, that's just what we've seen from Brandon Royval is where like there's leaks in his game. He, he's so dangerous. And I would kind of circle his name and put volatile, but with volatility comes upside and, and massive ceiling. So like he's a guy that could break the slate. And if a lot of ownership isn't getting attached to him, I have no problem getting there. Alexandre Pantoja hasn't been finished, but like, you know what I mean? It's very, impo- it's very hard to not get finished in the sport of MMA, especially the longer you stay in the sport, and especially with all these high-profile fights. So you're talking about the next hungry guy in Brandon Royval who has submission skills and striking skills. I mean, you know, it, it's like look at Kamar Usman's reign, and then you know Leon Edwards lands that head kick, and then you know what I mean. So it, it can happen. Um, it can definitely happen. Um, so I, I'm going to be aggressive with both the main event and co-main event. If you are really, really bold and you fade one, maybe two of those fights, you, you have to hit those fights correctly, obviously. And uh, you have to have the correct combination. Just need six fighters over 100. Um, but I, I tend to think that the uh, the ownership's correct in, in targeting the main and co-main event. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at, and I want to see where this Roy Val ownership goes. I think that is, yeah. it, whether we're talking about on DraftKings or FanDuel, that price point of FanDuel on Brandon Roy Val really sticks out to me. And I got to think a lot of people that are looking to find some sal- salary savers over on FanDuel, looking at that 13 and under Brandon Roy Val is definitely going to stick out to you. And I'll say this, you know, because obviously we've lost two fights this week, stacking the main event is not is something I'm not against doing this week. My general thought is if you're stacking the main event, I think the thought has got to be is that Colby Covington's going to rack up rounds early on in this matchup, roll up the takedowns, roll on with that pace, and then Leon Edwards knocks him out in the fourth or fifth round. To me, if you're going to stack, that's kind of the mentality to potentially have there. And, and then there's just there's some fights I look at, you know, Patty Pin with Tony Ferguson. I mean, I do not know what to expect out of that one, but I think to me that is a fight that I kind of have circled. And, you know, a fight that to me could potentially be a ownership leverage play this week as we sit here right now on a Friday just after 2 o'clock Eastern time is that Bryce Mitchell and Josh Emmett matchup. I think the Bryce Mitchell ownership should probably be a little higher than what it is. Uh, I was mentioning this to Pete earlier. I think when you talk about GPP dart throws, Alonzo Minifield to me is when I look at that 7,300 and below, and I'm looking at Brian Keller, Alonzo Minifield, Josh Emmett, Tony Ferguson, and Steven Thompson. If I'm looking for a dart throw, Alonzo Minifield, I would rank number one out of those fighters. It pains me to say because I'm just not sold, but like with his power, you have to kind of be a believer, right? Like you have to be a believer. Um, there's there's a fighter, you know. If you say seventy one and under, I agree. If you like seventy two hundred, Brian Kelleher is very interesting for me. Um, just a hundred dollars spend up, but like as far as 
Kelly, I mean, as far as Menafield and below, I I think the power and also the win streak that he's been on, just that there's something to be said. Like what he, the wars he had with Jimmy Crute, and then just how he adjusted his style and was able to finish Jimmy Crute, who's a fighter that I think was a massive prospect, like a massive prospect, and has shown to, you know, to kind of succumb to big power and guys that just stay in it and don't quit. And Alonzo Menafield being a, uh, what I used to think was, um, you know, kind of like a round one guy and only. He, he's proven me wrong. And this is a nice matchup, a striking matchup. I do think that the kickboxing skills of Dustin Jacoby should be on full display. But like one shot, we've seen just Dustin Jacoby get dropped numerous times in the octagon. And then you start to take into account all the damage from kickboxing over into MMA as well. Uh, you know, it is it is a good spot as far as a dart throw for Alonzo Menafield. And it seems like Jacoby... If he doesn't finish it quickly, like his fights tend to be a lot closer than they should be for a guy with his kickboxing pedigree. So I don't hate the call at all. Personally, I'm I'm on Dustin Jacoby to kind of outkickbox and maneuver uh, Alonzo Menafield, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, the price point, I think, was more of what kind of surprised me more than anything yeah. else. And that one, I remember, it, it was just kind of like when I, I initially saw the Bryce Mitchell and Josh Emmett, you know, probably, you know betting line plus price point. I was like, wow, did, did I? It's one of those things that you, you initially see it, but then you start kind of really taking a deep dive in the car. So, okay, I, I see why the price point is that way. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here, here to the Fight HQ podcast. A great way to show your support for the channel. Uh, give this video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed to the channel. And, of course, if you're listening to us on the podcasting platform, to give us that five-star rating and review would be much appreciated. Pete, let's get right into this main event. Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. Colby Covington is a, a plus-135 betting underdog, minus-164 for Leon Edwards over on DraftKings, A200 for Leon, 8,000 for Colby Covington, 20 and 18, respectively, over there on FanDuel. Pete, what's your thoughts, man? I've been going back and forth all week, admittedly. I really have. I, I just don't necessarily know how I'm going to Lean, I really don't. As far as like DFS, I think that they're both tremendous values. I think the better value is clearly on the wrestler because DraftKings, you know, leans towards heavy grapplers and guys that can get takedowns and, you know, octagon control and all that. And that, that's definitely Colby Covington, uh, pace pusher. You know, for a long time, a big joke was British wrestling. Um, and like if you had American wrestlers going up against British fighters, that's something that you could target and, and – it could really expose the deficiency within that game and within that just region of mixed martial arts. You know, like for a while, it's it's something that we've always been able to kind of take advantage of. Um, and I, I think that like Colby Covington's absence from the cage is what makes this very, very interesting because I don't know if he's lost a step. I also don't know if... You know, he's going to be the same fighter, high volume, high striking. I do worry about his chin, and I worry about some of the things he says to kind of wake up a beast in Leon Edwards. Like, if I was poking holes at Leon Edwards throughout this fight in comparison to Kobe Covington, it's can he match the pace and volume of Kobe? I really don't think so, unless he's pissed off. And I feel like, you know, Kobe Covington did everything wrong to piss him off. Um, and, and, you know, rightfully so. I hope Leon Edwards knocks Colby Covington clear out like bad. Um, and, and I think the, the rear knee from Leon Edwards could be a weapon here. I think, uh, you know, with, with them both being southpaws, I, I think that you could see, you know, Leon Edwards go out there and just wreck that calf of Colby Covington. Lots of calf kicks, which will definitely neutralize the takedowns a little bit. 
and, and make him somewhat of a sitting target for some of these strikes. And I hope I hope Rocky Edwards goes out there and and knocks him down. But we've seen Colby Covington, you know, deal with adversity and, and come back and uh, you know put it to Kamaru Usman and other fighters that are just you know unwilling to put him away. I, I think that this is a, in a very intriguing matchup. I do because of the cage time and because of uh, some of the, the, the striking sequences that I do see, I am going to slightly lean towards Leon Edwards. But as far as DFS, I don't really care who I get. I will stack in some of the fights in some of my lineups just because I do think that um, this is a nice spot to do so. You're getting two mid-range fighters that need to really just score 60 and above, 70 and above um, with, with the winner you know, hopefully getting 90 to 100. Um, but yeah, I'm going to slightly lean towards Leon Edwards, uh, despite like weeks ago and months ago, me initially thinking that I was going to be picking Colby Covington, just a slightly worried about the inactivity, um, and, and the adjustments and, and the camps leading up to this fight for, for Leon Edwards could possibly prepare Edwards for a, a good masterpiece against Colby Covington. Yeah, when you talk about that inactivity of Colby Covington, this is only his fourth fight since 2020, first fight in 21 months. And um, from a fight aspect, uh, obviously, I think it's it's weighing this aspect of, and I talk about this all the time, Father Time is undefeated. At some point, Father Time is going to hit hit you at some point. Colby Covington is 35 years old, and, and how much of this inactivity over the last three years is more about the wear and tear of his body being a competitor for as long as he's been going back to his amateur wrestling days and to now. When you look at what happened yesterday, it's going to be is, did he wake up somebody that he, he should have done? Like, look, when it comes to trash-talking, there's two things to me that are off limits, family and religion. And what happened yet last night, Pete, Colby Covington's a piece of shit. I'm sorry. He's a piece <laughs> oh, of shit. I, I mean, I, I don't matter. It does not matter what happened there. You're talking about a man's father who, I mean, look, there's reports out there that he was not a good person, but you're talking about his father who was murdered, about you joining him in hell. I'm sorry. I've had a lot of people in South Florida scene tell me a lot of things about Kobe Covington. That just once again proved this guy. This guy will say anything. There's media people in this industry that give Kobe Covington a these one-on-one interviews. They give him a platform to spew his rhetoric. And from an aspect, I hope he gets knocked the fuck out tomorrow night. I really do. I love it. I've never seen Jason fired up like this, and I, I, I just I love I, it. And I know Jason really well, and he's always level-headed. But there's certain things that are just completely off the table. I mean, like, he, this is there, there should be lines that you don't cross, and he's he's willing to do anything to make a dollar. Oh, I'm yep. just trying to sell it. Like, yeah, okay, but like, that's that's crazy. Like, have some anything except get involved in, in saying these terrible things. So, like, uh, I really hope Leon Leon Edwards look really really upset. And Colby Covington continued to call him the ultimate feelings champion because, like, you know, dude, that's a, that's it struck a nerve, and it should have because that's mm-hmm. very, very low. Um, but they still have to fight, so Colby can say whatever he wants. But I do think that when you have something like that, it could make Leon Edwards fight a little bit more emotional, which is probably Colby's go-to, and, and hopes that it opens up um, some holes in Edwards' game. 
But I also think that it could really just make him rise to the occasion. And I, I really hope that Leon Edwards knocks him out bad, bad. And uh, what we say, we see in still. The thing is, when you look at the fighting aspect, if we see the Colby Covington we have seen, my one concern will be is how does Leon Edwards handle the pace of Colby Covington? Yeah. I think he's going to be able to stop some Covington takedowns, but it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. And this is the one thing about Colby Covington. There's no doubt in my mind he's one of the best welterweights in the world. But when you look at that resume, you got to go deep down and find someone he's beaten that's actually still in the UFC. Agree. It's it's. Uh, I'm glad you said that because he's beaten a lot of great names, but a lot of those great names were at the book, you know, the end of their career or um, their best days have have been gone. Like the, you know, the Tyron Woodley when he it, everything was great timing. You know, like everything was great timing, and you know, it, you still have to go in there and win these fights, which is really difficult to do. So, Kobe's an excellent fighter. He really is, mm-hmm. and I think like I his striking somewhat underappreciated too because he's. He's not afraid to throw combinations because he knows it's going to open you up for wrestling and takedowns. That's why me as a coach, if I am in Leon Edwards' corner, what we're doing is we are you, – you can't kick to the to the liver because of the, the these same stances of them both being southpaws. You can't really kick to the head on that side. But what you can do is you can butcher that lead leg. And you can't be throwing leg kicks to the thigh because that's just a – that's a blast double waiting to happen. If I'm in part of Edwards' camp, we are destroying the calf. And let's see if, if his coach, his, he has a great team behind him. Let's see if they do that. Go out there and destroy the calf of Kobe Covington, which will somewhat neutralize the, the wrestling and make him get make him attempt takedowns on his bad side. And then when you talk about that, now the ex- explosiveness is somewhat zapped. And that's why when you start burying that calf kick, he's going to start reaching. And that's when I think a knee up the middle is the way to knock Kobe Covington completely out. I think a knee up the middle puts him, as he said, to hell. And I hope so. I, I really I really hope Kobe Covington gets planted. Yeah, I mean, I will say this from a, a DFS perspective. The concern I do have on the Leon Edwards aspect is is potentially a lack of volume, which we have seen yeah. from him in the past. That would be a concern for me. That's why, like I talked about earlier, if you are looking to stack a fight, and obviously because of the salaries here, it makes it very easy to stack this matchup is, I think your mindset's got to be as Colby Covington gets up, say, 2-1, two, 3-0 two, after three rounds, and then Leon Edwards takes, him, takes over and eventually – gets this option in the fourth or fifth round. But, I mean, look, I think you got to get to both sides of the equation in this one. Next Agreed. up, we've got the flyweight rematch. Pantoja defending his title against Brand Roy Val. Of course, that the initial matchup took place back in 2021. Pantoja winning via second-round submission. Pantoja is the betting fair at minus 195, plus 165 for Roy Val. Roy Val is 7,600 on DK, 12 on FanDuel. And for Pantoja, he's 8,600 on DK and $21 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, this is an amazing matchup. It really is. Um, you got a pretty big uh, flyweight in uh, Brandon Royval, um, 5'9", 68-inch reach. Pantoja's 5'5", 67-inch reach. Um, you know, Southport Orthodox. Uh, but, you know, you, you'll see Royval switch, and he is just very dangerous because of his length. So lots of straight shots, um, throws punches from weird angles, spins, when he's getting his back taken, um, he throws spinning elbows, which is a concern, right? Because if you're so spin happy, you you are susceptible to getting your back taken and and choked out. Uh, we've seen it happen, um, but he's willing to risk it. 
And some fighters are just not willing to risk it. And it's like, if you're unwilling to risk it, sometimes you don't give yourself a chance. This guy just goes out there and he trusts his skills in every area that like, he's live. He's so live. And I can't wait to see an ownership update because if Roy Val is being completely, you know, just glossed over and people aren't getting to him, I'm going to smash it. I, I do think that the rightful favorite is Alexandre Pantoja. You're talking about a guy who has not been finished in the UFC. Um, nobody's been able to do it. And he's always been able to, to you know, with Santa adversity, come from behind. Uh, he's so talented on the ground. He does have the better jiu-jitsu, but Royval is completely, he's a scrambling type of fighter. Uh, he will threaten the neck. Just because you are a better jiu-jitsu practitioner does not mean you can't get caught in a submission. And that being caught in that submission could lead to a bad position. Like Royval attempts a guillotine off of a Alexandre Pantoja shot. And Pantoja realizes it's super deep. He gets out of it, but he he rolls. So now Royval's in full mount, which leads to ground and pound in a bad position. Like anything like that can happen just because um, of Royval's well-roundedness and also the fact that like it's a high-paced division. So flyweights, similar to women's MMA, I, I think that the underdogs have a significant chance to pull off the victory because the, the KO chance is, is rare. Um, but the activity, the issue is like, can Royville win a, win a decision? Let's say this gets stretched out. Can he win a decision? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like he's, he needs a finish over Alexandre Pantoja, which is kind of ironic because he hasn't been finished in the UFC. I think the better fighter over 25 minutes will be Alexandre Pantoja coming from a super camp at American top team. Um, I still will back the guy from American top team because I know, I know how they prepare. I've trained with them. Um, and they've even, you know, developed into a better team since when I was down there. Um, so yeah, I, I think that Alexandre Pantoja showed that he can withstand the adversity and, and the danger that Royval presents, but I'm still worried. Like, I, I can't say like, if I had to lock in the main event or co-main event, I really don't know who I decide because like Alexandre Pantoja seems to be the chalk that everybody's so confident in. And I would just say buyer beware, just because Royville's very hungry and very dangerous. Um, I think that Pantoja should win this fight, um, but I can also see this title bouncing around between multiple hands for the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I mean, it's one of those things like Roy Val to me, it's like a boom bust type play. And agree. You, and the other aspect of it is like, let's say this fight hits a third, fourth, fifth round. We really we've only seen Roy Val hit he's only gone out of the second round one time in his UFC run. So what does he look like in terms of that? I mean, I do like the potential takedown upside. Pantoja in this one and just trying to put Brand Royval on his back. I mean, like, mm -hmm. but like when I look at that ownership projection on on Pantoja, it's like, damn, like, I I was just saw on the DK app because I wanted to see if they had put the salaries out for the captain contest. Like, I might throw Royval in as captain as just a a under the radar captain play. Yeah, I I don't hate it at all. I mean, like, you you want to find an underdog with tremendous upside and i think like i think that royville similar to colby covington of, of just how like as an underdog that switches their stances so often like you know he's not rooted they they have him on paper as um you know they have colby covington as an orthodox fighter they have brandon royville as a southpaw but 
they switch their stances and they they kind of mix and match based on their combinations and openings. I think it just gives their opponents so many different looks that it makes them so dangerous. Um, and, and that's the issue here. Uh, and I don't hate the call at all. Brandon Royval has a complete put him in the in the captain contest because you know like if he wins it's probably pretty high score um but obviously like alexandre pantosh is damn good against brandon moreno damn good in his past his whole reign in the ufc so it's a very tough test for for roy Bob to go and if he does he's absolutely legitimate yeah i mean and i think when you're talking about these bigger gpp contests it's it's about looking at projections and, and looking at fighters who are going to be that 15 percent and below and say okay who has that high gpp upside and brand roy val to me is one of those guys that has a high gpp upside that's why he's someone that i'm going to circle as when i'm developing lineups you know tonight and tomorrow morning before i i get you know head up head up to the north is sitting there going okay if, if I'm not max entering a contest, I got to start looking at who is these under the radars that if they come in and cash, it's going to leapfrog me up to that top contest. So that's kind of my thought on Roy Val. But to me, boomer bust play on him just because, you know, uh, type he is. By the way, did you know Alexander Pantoja has a nickname? Wait, what is it? The Cannibal. Oh, so you got the dang. Cannibal versus Raw Dog. Battle of interesting nicknames for sure. Could you could uh, you imagine if you went into a, a sports bar tomorrow night that's showing the event, and say let's just say you have, dog. let's say you have ten dudes sitting together go, hey man, so this guy's about to fight. His nicknamed Raw Dog. What's your definition definition of Raw Dog? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I I think the UFC. It, I mean, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah, but I, like, it I'm is pretty, I'm to, pretty sure Buffer does not. Um, say raw dog. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. <laughs> Buffer's a cloud. Just say it, dude. You don't yeah, need to I, I literally just, I, say, I, just I had, say whatever it is. Yeah, I, I've I, there's some bad nicknames out there. I mean, you know, there, there's there's some bad fire nicknames out there. Uh, let's move over next up to our matchup. We got Shavkat Rock Monolith, the biggest betting favorite on this card, taking on Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Shakov is a minus 650 betting fair, plus 450 for Steven Thompson. Uh, Rachmanov, 9700 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. And for Wonderboy, he's 6500 on DK and $8 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I love my boy, Steven Wonderboy Thompson, one of my favorite fighters in the world. Um, it's, it's a very dangerous fight. You know, it's a very dangerous fight because he's not fighting a pure striker. The way that Wonderboy Thompson can have excellent showcases and excellent uh, performances is when he's going up against a, a fighter who's only willing to stand up with him. And I feel like nobody's willing to stand up with Wonderboy because even when you are a kickboxer, you're looking to take him down. Uh, he's just so dynamic, and his uh, his footwork is excellent. His range is incredible. Um, the dexterity with his legs is just second to none. He puts combinations and. He's so he's a master of space. Uh, his his footwork somewhat um, deflects and avoids a lot of takedown attempts. But if you do pin him against the cage, you can take him down, and that is clearly his Achilles heel. Um, you know, all the years of working with Chris Weidman and everything. I, I mean, he's just not a wrestler. He's just not a grappler. And some fighters level up and develop in those areas. He has solid initial takedown defense. Um, but like they, there's like very low level skills as far as the grappling is considered. And I do think a guy in Shavkat Rachmanov, he doesn't have to grapple. 
he has enough power to to knock down Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's been knocked down plenty of times. It looked ugly early against Kevin Holland, and then all of a sudden Wonderboy Thompson uh, just had one of the best performances of his career, and he's had plenty of them, and he just beat the heck out of Kevin Holland. Um, I think that Shavkat Rachmanov's just – he checks all the boxes, and the only way he loses this fight, in my opinion, is if he stays at range for 15 minutes and just gets outmaneuvered. I think the, the chances of that are like – below 20%. So oh, I don't hate the absolute punt of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson to win a decision. I don't think that he he will or can knock out Shavkat Rachmanov, even though we've seen Rachmanov get rocked. I think that if that happens, you, sh- you see Shavkat wrestle. And that's, I think, his easiest path to victory. He's a massive price point on the DraftKings slate. Um, 9,700. I mean, uh, you could pivot away from it, but like it is, it is a nice matchup against a very old fighter for the division. And I just don't I don't like the matchup for uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because I do think that at any given moment, Shavkat can wrestle and wrestle often and then look to ground and pound or submit Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And this could be a breakout performance and you know, he he will get, you know, over and get, you know, some some fans to really attract towards him with a win over a notable name in Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So I mean obviously my bias, I'm rooting for Wonderboy Thompson. I hope it stays at range and he picks him apart. I just don't think it does. Uh, I think there's two plays that are, you know, not free squares, but like, you know, some of the best upside and uh, best finishing potential on the slate. And it's two of the highest priced fighters. And that's Shopkot Rachmanov and Patty Pimblett. You know, when I look at this matchup and kind of, I guess, saying it maybe in a little bit of a different way than what you said it. To me, is as long as Rachmanov fights with a high fight IQ and doesn't fight yeah. with his ego, you know, there's it's that John Jones mentality of I want to beat you at what you do best. It'd be like me walking into a cage against you, Pete, and going, you know what, I'm gonna take him down in a striking matchup. You know, and saying, yeah. "Hey, I know that's what he does best, so I want to beat him at his game." And that—that's John Jones' mentality, and obviously, it's worked great for him. But to me, Rachmanov utilizing a full skill set here, utilizing those takedowns. I will say, when I was looking at this, like obviously, the money line is a huge number. The DK line is a huge number at ninety-seven hundred. I mean, if he's going to pay off that price point, I think it's either I think. It's, a, it's got to be takedowns and a stoppage in the first or second round. And probably also that means we've got some upsets earlier on the card to where that price point's really going to help out. On the betting side, you know, I like to talk about sprinkles. I think a little sprinkle on this one is Rachmanov wins via decision, which I, I want to say it was like plus, it was, I, I think it was over two to, uh, two to one odds when I looked uh, last yeah. night. Yeah. I, I think like, Rachmanov's just so dangerous that he'll pick up another finish, and there's no reason for me to want to get away from the finishing potential, even though I know the Jeff Neal fight went late. Um, you know, and, and like even Neil Magny was in the second round, Michelle uh, Prezeras was in the second round. I just think that if it gets on the ground, you will see him finish. Uh, you will see him finish Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And there, there's some some advice that Shavkat Rachmanov can get from fellow training partners i mean gilbert burns vicente luque have both fought steven wonderboy thompson and i bet you they're saying don't strike with this guy take him down take him <laughs> down immediately take him down immediately vicente luque got smoked on the feet um and gilbert burns just kind of took him down controlled him and blanketed him for for 15 which if burns can't finish him on the ground maybe that means you know that shavkat can't from a, a submission 
you know, standpoint, but like we see Shavkat utilize ground and pound in a violent nature. So I, I really hate this fight for Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I like the uh I like the Michelle Pahea fight because it's two strikers. Pahea could grapple if he wanted to. That was a nice matchup stylistically, and I almost feel like this is a uh, you know, kind of like a, a a company payback in a way for for, for not taking that fight for for uh, Pahea being yeah. 174 pounds instead of 170. Yeah, I this is one of those matchups. I feel like it's old school UFC matchmaking, and I do wonder if Thompson uh, is unable to get the victory tomorrow night. Is this potentially the last time we see Stephen Wonderboy Thompson inside the UFC octagon? I can very well see that. And, and I'll say this: I think when you look at this welterweight division, and you say who is the biggest threat to become champion in twenty twenty four, I think it's Rachmanov. Yeah i I think that. Rachmanov has so much hype behind him, has a massive fan base, um, and I think he's legit. His chin is somewhat of a question mark um, just because we've seen him get rocked numerous times and rocked badly, but like as far as skills in every department, he's up there. He, he's one of the most well-rounded fighters for the division for sure, and like if, say, he fought, I don't know, Bilal Muhammad or something, I'd be very intrigued to see how that would go. It wouldn't surprise me late summer, early fall, that a UFC welterweight title fight is below Muhammad versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Hmm. See? It's almost like we kind of, like, predicted it. Because, look, Bilal should, should get the winner of Saturday night's fight. He should. We know in MMA, should does not always matter so we'll we'll see what happens there uh next up let's move over to the lightweight matchup between patty pimblett and tony ferguson patty pimblett is a minus 310 betting favorite 9400 dk 22 dollars on fanduel for tony ferguson he is plus 250 6800 on dk and nine dollars on fanduel Pete. yeah I, I don't really like uh tony ferguson in this spot i know that he's been training with david goggins cool awesome um i i think you know cardio was never a, a worry about Tony Ferguson, um, developing mental strength was never a worry about Tony Ferguson. This guy always bit down on the mouthpiece and dealt with adversity head on and always pushed a crazy pace and broke his opposition and elbowed the hell out of everybody, sliced them open. And, you know, I, I like it when guys bring in skill builders. I just don't know, like, outside of just being in good shape, I don't know how this helps the skills that we're seeing somewhat deteriorate in the octagon. We're, we're seeing take down, poor takedown defense. We're seeing ground control. We're seeing him get submitted against guys that shouldn't be submitting him. Him getting rocked and dropped and knocked out, you know, and, and like for a long time, that chin held up. So, I mean, like, I, I think what he should have done is just gone out there and worked on his grappling and wrestling extensively worked on his movement, and worked on his defense, his striking defense. All things I'm sure he's worked on, right? Like, I don't know him. I'm not in his camp. But I feel like, I almost feel like he could be just so aged and withered coming into this matchup where Patty Pimlet looks like an absolute superstar and knocks him out, looks like a K-1 kickboxer in there against Tony Ferguson, who's just so broken down from the, the hard training with David Goggins. Uh um, they do. 
And this is a fighter that I've been, you know, low on. Um, but I think that, you know, timing's everything. And I think the timing couldn't be any better than Patty Pimlet. The UFC knows what they're doing. And I think that uh, the time's going to come when, when we're going to find, you know, an opponent to expose Patty Pimblett. I don't think it's Tony Ferguson. You know, I don't mind going and, and sprinkling Tony Ferguson just because of the power in his hands and how uh, Patty Pimblett, you know, leaves his head on the center line and his, his chin straight up in the air. But, like, at 6,800, he's just a punt play because I do think that at 9,400, we see uh, – we see Patty Pimlet go out there and, and get a, a massive, massive victory. You know, I, I know there's obviously been a lot of talk about what Tony Ferguson has done. And I mean, look, and I have agree with Tony Ferguson's fight camps through, through the years because I've always felt that kind of he was the he was the GM as opposed to someone else being the GM of, of his fight camp. But I actually yep. don't mind his decision in terms of this one of, of, of trying to get uh, his mental headspace in, in the right place because of there's been a lot of things that have happened with Tony in and out of competition in terms of this one. I think him going to a super gym probably would not have been the best idea because there would probably be a lot of young guys in that gym that were trying to, you know, take advantage of the situation. But I do want to bring up this Michael Bisping quote from his YouTube channel. Patty Pimlet's a great fighter. Make no mistake. He's faster on his feet. He's probably got better boxing if you look at it skill for skill. But Patty carries his chin kind of high in the air. I've seen better defense on power slap sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I damn, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the one thing. And we, we've talked about, and look, Patty has some fought in a year who says he hasn't made a lot of changes in terms of, of his boxing defense. But that is always to me, the big question mark. Patty Pimble is that chin is high as can be. And you're hearing this things that he wants to fight Bobby green next. Don't do it, Patty. Don't do it, Patty. Cause Bobby green, I, you tell me if, if he wins tomorrow night and they're booking him against Bobby green. Oh, I can't wait for a 6,800 Bobby Green. Cannot wait for it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Bobby Green fall from grace too. Uh, but, I mean, it was against Jalen Turner. But I, I totally agree with the the errors in his game. I mean, his chin's so high. I just don't get people that keep their chin high as a, as a coach. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I, I yell at my, some of my fighters, and then it's like either they're stupid as hell or you just think you're better, like you know better than me, and it's like you have to realize. So that's like when when it happens in training, I crack them often, and that's the only way you're going to learn. And I wonder if they these guys that keep their head up and their chin high in the sky, if they don't have those people willing to push because they don't want to be that guy to hurt their training partners or be that guy to to you know, destroy the confidence. Sometimes you need your confidence somewhat destroyed and beaten down in training. That's what's going to help you develop. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure he's gotten dropped. I'm sure he, you know, they've had plenty of talks about it, but like there needs to be like, dude, like put a tennis ball underneath your chin. If you need to shadow box, do three rounds a day, get that chin down because like, I don't know. It, it's just frustrating for me. And, and there's plenty of people that uh, just, I don't know why they can't, they cannot make that adjustment. Well, for Tony Ferguson, a, a loss would allow him to join BJ Penn in a category you don't want to be in. That's so bad. What is he it, would be seven the, losses in a row? The only fighters in UFC history to lose seven fights in a row. Is in it really seven in a row? Yeah. That yeah, BJ, is so BJ lost. Bad. BJ lost seven in a row. Uh, Sam Alvey would have the record. He had his draw. But he had a, he had a draw. <laughs> 
Sam Alvey ended 8 and one in run. Let me just tell you, like, it's crazy how you can see these guys conquer the sport, get to the top of it, and then just be unwilling to kind of just like develop and learn new skills and take different approaches. You you have to be willing to adjust. It's almost like uh, I don't know if football if like you don't start adjusting your your play calling style to the new age. You know what I yeah. mean? Like mm-hmm. you you have to just you know mold with the times in a way. And I almost feel like pride gets in a way. And, and Tony Ferguson definitely has way too much pride because of just how you see it from his coaching staff decisions, him creating his own camps and. Uh, yeah. he's just an odd duck. He, he just really is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to kind of see how he comes out. Does he try to push a high pace against Patty Pimblett and try to force Patty to be the aggressor? But uh, I, I will say this: like, I'll, I'll have a sprinkle on Tony Ferguson just in case he is able to pull this off. But I do feel like this is old school UFC matchmaking. Yeah, you, know, you got the guy who's clearly on his way out the door. You got the young, up and coming guy, even though he's got deficiencies in his game that they want to elevate him up. Next up, we got Bryce Mitchell taking on Josh Emmett. Of course, this is a matchup that took play, that was put together 10 days ago with Gita Jikaze pulled out of this matchup with a injury. Josh Emmett is the better underdog here, plus 186, minus 225 for Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell's 8900 on DK, $12, or $17 on FanDuel. And for Josh Emmett, he is $7,312 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, initially when I saw this, I was I was talking to uh, my brother-in-law and and uh, like man, I I don't like this matchup for for Bryce Mitchell, especially on short notice, going up against a guy who's had a wrestling background and has way better striking than Bryce Mitchell. And then I start thinking about it. I'm like, okay, well, when Jalen Turner and Bobby Green were booked on short notice, you saw Jalen Turner step in on short notice and be a massive favorite. Um, same kind of thing for Bryce Mitchell against um, against Josh Emmett. And I'm like, all right, well, what am I not seeing? What I'm not seeing is is just the stylistic switch up from going for a, a camp against a striker in Giga Chikadze, where you're so super focused on fighting a high level kickboxer, to now going up against a, a guy who is kind of like the Colby Covington for the division, um, but has such sneaky submission skills as well. And, you know, you can defend takedowns. Josh Emmett will defend some takedowns. But, like, if he gets taken down, that's where I do think the jujitsu edge is. You know, vastly superior for for uh, for uh, Bryce Mitchell. Um, you know, I, I think the the initial wrestling will be somewhat close, but just the pace. As long as Bryce Mitchell, Mitchell's in shape, the pace and just the jujitsu skills that I've seen, you know, just significantly outweigh anything Josh Emmett has in the grappling department. Um, so yeah, like it took me a little bit to kind of just come to it, uh, but I, I think like. I actually think that Bryce Mitchell's going to do it. I, I think, you know, initially I, I was going to get to a ton of Josh Emmett. Um, you tell me a guy's an underdog with power in his hands, comes from a wrestling background, fought better competition to this point, um, you know, and very proven at 7,300. Are you kidding me? And then the more I started thinking about it, I'm like, but he might not have a chance to get off. He, like, might not have a chance to throw those hands because Bryce Mitchell's going to clinch and engage with him immediately. And then you had a whole camp tailored around a kickboxer. I actually think it's much easier for Mitchell to go in there against a, a power-handed striker um, with a wrestling background similar to Dan Ige than it is for Josh Emmett to to pivot from a Giga Chikadze to, to Bryce Mitchell. 
you know, one of the things about Emmett, his takedown defense has not been great, 46%. And, I mean, he, mm. look, he is coming off a massive beating against Ilya Taporia. And you talk about just a drastic change in styles when you go from Chikadze over to Bryce Mitchell. And to me, my general thought process of this is I think there's two fighters who are both favorites that you have to look at when we're talking about GPP contests as leverage plays. And Bryce Mitchell is one of them. The other one is Cody Garbrandt. We'll get into Cody here in a little bit. But, like, you look at that potential of Bryce Mitchell, and Josh Emmett has talked about the the end is coming. He knows, you know, he he's not going to get back in title contention. You know, so the, the end is coming. And he's admitted the end is coming here. So, like, to me, Bryce Mitchell is one of those guys that as a leverage play, a high-salary leverage play, he's a guy that I'm going to look forward to. And you got to, I mean, look, you, you have to imagine the Bryce Mitchell camp. Their mindset is, we're not trying to have a boxing matchup against Josh Emmett. We know what Josh Emmett can do. I think they'll try to get this one to the ground. I do like Bryce Mitchell to go out there and get the victory. Next up will be the, the feature preliminary matchup between Josh Jacoby and Alonzo Menafield. Jacoby is a minus 275 betting fair, plus 225 for Menafield. Jacoby, 9100 on DK, $20 on Fandle. And for Menafield, he's 7100 on DK and $10 on Fandle beat. Yeah, I mean, we kind of broke this this fight down earlier. You got a high-level kickboxer in Dustin Jacoby going up against Atomic uh, Alonzo Menafield, who just has significant power for the division. Um, less skills as far as just, like, checking boxes from a striking standpoint, but everything's so powerful, and he's just a naturally powerful guy. Whereas Dustin Jacoby is so volume-oriented and, um, you know, just picks his opponents apart. He could clearly pick Alonzo Menafield apart for 15 minutes. He could even knock out Alonzo Menafield. We did see Alonzo Menafield run into a strike and uh, and get knocked out against OSP in the second round, but that was back in 2020. Since then, you know, fights over Fabio Charant, Ed Herman, uh, Askar Mojarov, Misha Serkinov, and Jimmy Crute. We've seen uh, we, we've seen him develop under the lights. Um, you know, he needs to be met with physicality. And I just don't know if Jacoby can meet him with physicality to somewhat uh, stifle the offense of Alonzo Menafield. And, um, you know, like Menafield can even land takedowns too. Uh, that, that's a wrinkle in the game where I think people are somewhat, you know, overlooking. But Dustin Jacoby at range, I'm going to pick Dustin Jacoby to beat almost anybody at range for the division. He's so good and is such a, you know, an amazing kickboxer in the sport of MMA. And since his crossover, he's just, you know, his return back to MMA, I should say, he's just been on a tear. I think that this is a very, very close fight. The value clearly, you know, lies with Alonzo Menafield, as Jason's mentioned. We've seen Dustin Jacoby get knocked down in the past. Maxim Grisham knocked him down twice in a 15-minute fight. Uh, Azamat Mirzakhanov knocked him down. Alonzo Menafield can knock him down. Um, but it's what comes first. Does the power land? Or does the volume, the calf kicks, the range, the just the outside attacks, the straight shots, does that lead to a Dustin Jacoby decision? 15 minutes is a long time not to get hit with a big bomb. And like Jacoby can knock out Menafield, but I could say the same thing for, for you know, uh, Menafield over Jacoby. So I'm really torn. And in these situations, I will say that there is a slight gap between the overall striking, and it's going to make me lean towards Jacoby for a decision. Jacoby, no doubt about it, Pete, is a better striker. No no one's going to argue that. I mean, my general thought process is in this matchup is when I'm trying to find 
you know, that, that 75, 7,600 and below fighters. Like, who are those fighters that have a 100-point ceilings? And to me, Minifield is one of those guys that uh, you just kind of, I mean, I, like, look, I think we, and obviously we'll make our straight-up fight picks later on, and I am going to pick Dustin Jacoby just because I think Dustin Jacoby is a better striker than Alonzo Minifield, but understanding it from a, a DFS perspective of looking for someone who has that chance to go out and finish a fight, that's why I think Minifield, if, if you're looking for that punt play to me, he's one of those pump plays to potentially look at there. Next up, we got a female matchup. We got a Reno Dania taking on Carol Hosa. Uh, Reno Dania minus 185 betting favorite, plus 155 for Carol Hosa. Hosa 7,400 on DK, $13 on Fandle. Aldania 8,800 on DK, $16 on Fandle. And she's another fighter. If you're looking for a little bit of a leverage play, she's a potential leverage play here, Pete. Yeah, I'm not really in love with Aldana here. I, I think that she should win this fight because she's. The rangier fighter and and you know i do think that she has the better boxing um but like she's five foot nine versus hosa's five foot five 68 inch reach versus 67 inch reach aldana needs to utilize her reach slight reach advantage but like her jab's excellent coming from a boxing background her jab is excellent uh her straight right hand is powerful we've seen her get finishes in a division not really known for finishes um I, I think she's interesting for sure. I really like going back to the well for UFC challengers, you know, title challengers when they're going up against anybody else besides the champion. So, uh, like, Aldana probably learned a lot in that fight against Amanda Nunes. I don't really know what Aldana that was because she looked terrible against Amanda Nunes, but Amanda's done that to so many people. So I don't really want to put too much weight in that performance, but she looked awful. She was just taken down, beaten up, out-volumed like crazy. Just seemed to kind of be like a deer in headlights. Um, that's how she loses this fight to Carol Hosa, right? Like, she loses the fight by just sitting back and not throwing enough. We've seen Carol Hosa eclipse 100 landed significant strikes numerous times. And, like, Aldana, she may be the more precise. She may land the better, but she will get out-volumed, and her striking differential sits at you know an unimpressive rate so like we've seen hosa land 171 120 125 i i think that aldana and that's why like this week i'm struggling with a lot of underdogs because i feel like the favorites should win the fight granted that's because they're set as favorites but like a lot of times i could poke holes in the favorites and back the underdog significantly this is a value play and it's women's MMA, so I understand why ownership will flock to Carol Hosa. Um, she's dangerous. She trains with Nisi Gomes as well as a relationship. But, like, I don't know, man. Outside of the high volume, I, I think that, you know, the jab should be significant for Irene Aldana, the long-rangey strikes. And she should do enough in a fight against a normal fighter not named Amanda Nunes. So I'm still picking a, a Irene Aldana to win. But, like, Carol Hosa is going to be one of my most heavily exposed underdogs. Um, you know, same with Colby Covington and same with Alonzo Menafield and one other fighter we're going to get to. 
Yeah, and, and like one of the commenters mentioned, Adani did not look good. They, they brought out the box uh, to, to make weight there. So that's something, in, and I think Carol Host has been one of those fighters I think people have been pointing at all week long is if you're looking to play an underdog play, that maybe she's one there. Next up, we got Brian Kelher taking on Cody Garbrandt. Garbrandt minus 185 betting fair, plus 155 for Kelher. Kelher is 7200 on DK, $11 on FanDuel. And for Cody, he's 9000 on DK, $19 over on FanDuel. And uh, to me, this is... <laughs> I'm circling this fight, Pete. I'm just saying I'm circling this fight for GPPs. Yeah, I'm circling it as well. I mean, like, this is another situation where it's like you have a guy, just like Dustin Jacoby, who's better in a lot of the areas than his opponent. Cody Garbrandt's better than Brian Kelleher in a lot of the areas. But, like, I mean, I just can't trust Cody Garbrandt, like, especially when you put money attached to it. So, if, like, if, say, I absolutely had to, I'm probably going to pick his opponents just because I've had a really tough time backing Cody Garbrandt because he's burned me so many times. Um, he got hurt n- numerous times in a Rob Font fight and somehow survived. Uh, wrestled a lot in that bout. I think, uh, you know, any time that he's willing to stand and trade, his fight IQ comes into question because he just starts to swing and bang. I think that he has... So many flaws in his defense by leaving his chin up. Hands low. I think Brian Kelleher is an excellent underdog here. And because he's an excellent underdog with finishing potential, he's going to be one of the guys I get to a lot. I mean, like, I I think at 7,200, there's enough holes in Cody Garbrandt's game for me to, you know, say, yeah, that's, that's a good underdog to target. Just like Alonzo Menafield. Um, you know, just like Carol Hosa and just like, you know, Colby Covington, like there's a, that's kind of like my underdog pool this week. Those four, I do think though, like there is a small percentage where Cody Garbrandt goes out there, stays on the outside, throws his shots, mixes in the wrestling enough to, to, you know, just dominate Brian Kelleher, who's guillotine happy. Could he land a guillotine and choke out Cody Garbrandt? Absolutely. Um, I think the finishing potential is more on Kelleher's side than Cody Garbrandt, which is kind of crazy to say because when Cody broke onto the scene, he was finishing and knocking out everybody. I do think that uh, Cody Garbrandt can win a very decisive decision by utilizing his wrestling and just putting on you know, tons of pace and speed over Kelleher. But like, I got to pick an underdog, and I, I am going to pick an underdog here and, and say that uh, – Brian Kelleher, despite coming off of crazy neck surgery, which I do not like hearing at all. Um, Cody Garbrandt's been banged up and hurt a lot as well, getting a lot of work done. So I'm going to go with Brian Kelleher to uh, pull off the upset. But this is another fight where I understand if you're on the Cody Garbrandt side. This is a week. It's very tough for me to kind of make a stand. I'm not making a stand here, but I am going to. There's enough value on Kelleher for me to say, yeah, I'll take him. All right, so skill for skill, Cody Garbrandt's the better fighter. But I am totally with you. So much questions about that chin and whether or not it can hold off. But to me, looking at where ownership is at right now, Cody Garbrandt's a guy I've got circled just because I'm like, man, 
For some reason, I think Cody's going to walk away with the finish tomorrow night. And so really? that's where I'm looking at it. And I just my the 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 concerns I have on the Cody Garbrandt side is twofold. It's A, that chin, and B, him going for a takedown and potentially getting caught in a guillotine by Brian Keller. We've seen Kelleher do that throughout his MMA run. It's a go-to move for him. But to me, I really like Cody Garbrandt in this spot, but Buyer beware. I think you just got to put buyer beware. If he's going to lose it, to me, it's either he gets chin-checked or he gets submitted via a guillotine. Next up, we got another female matchup. Casey O'Neill taking on Erlani Lipsky. O'Neill is a minus 190 betting fair, plus 160 for Lipsky. Lipsky is 7500 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. And for Casey O'Neill, she's A700 on DK and $16 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, Lipsky's a fighter that kind of turned a corner in her career. Um Started to work a lot with Amanda Nunez out of that private camp. Uh, um, not really seeing anything on social media saying that she's back there. It, it kind of seems like she's moved her camp back to Brazil or something like that. Uh, I liked her under the tutelage of Amanda Nunez. I truthfully did because that's a fighter that can beat the hell out of you in training to get you ready, but also give her the best advice in the game. Um, but yeah, so I, I think personally that Ariana Lipsky is – you know, she's a live dog for sure. She she looked good against J.J. Aldrich and Melissa Gatto, but, like, those are two fighters. Like, J.J. Aldrich has really, really fallen down the ladder for me, in my personal opinion. Um, Melissa Gatto, not really that impressive. But, like, Casey O'Neill is a fighter that I circled when she broke onto the scene. I said, damn. Like, I like what she does. Throws high volume, gets takedowns, super aggressive on the mat, tons of ground and pound, finishing potential galore. Uh, it's just the fight IQ. Like there was no need to stand and trade with Jennifer Maya. Uh, I think the the worry about Maya's jujitsu was in the back of her head. Um, she only attempted one takedown in that fight. She's gotten healthy since then. She's taken some time away. That was back in March. Um, she's out of a great camp, out of Extreme Couture. I've, I'm seeing her wrestle and grapple often, as she should. Um, but yeah, so I I, I like Casey O'Neill here. Do I like the fact that she had a split decision against Roxanne Modafferi? No, but I think Roxanne's underappreciated in, a ju- in the jiu-jitsu realm, and she's made tough fights out of a lot of her fights. So um, I think it was a good uh, you know, fight to mature in, and uh, I-, I just think that Casey O'Neill has the higher ceiling of the two. You could see Ariana Lipsky put together a nice performance dancing on the outside, Put, you know, putting together good combinations, defending some initial takedowns, and keeping it upright for the large majority. But there's enough upside in Casey O'Neill's game, and uh, I'm really just impressed from the, the fight footage, everything I've seen outside of the fight IQ. That I, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Casey O'Neill here, and I think that she's at a pretty, pretty generous um, price tag, and it's you know 8,700 given her work rate and her ceiling. I think that she's going to be very, very popular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like. I mean, Casey O'Neill. I mean, I think I was looking at her prize picks. That one and a half takedown prop kind of does stick out to me a little bit. We've seen Lipsky do a much better job uh, with that, but I do like O'Neill in this one. Next up, we got Owen Bechtoff taking on Durden. Owen Bechtoff is a minus one seventy five betting fair, plus one forty five for Durden. Uh, Tagir is a three hundred on DK, fifteen dollars on Fanduel. Durden seventy nine hundred on DK and fourteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, I mean, Cody Durden's a guy I just can't get right. Um, he is a great underdog in almost all of his fights because of his wrestling pedigree. This is a guy that'll go out there and attempt a crazy amount of takedowns. 
And in addition to attempting, he will land a crazy amount of takedowns. He landed 11 takedowns against Charles Johnson. He went up 11 of 18 in that bout. Uh, landed four takedowns, four of six against Jake Hadley. He has good control time as well. Um, the issue with Cody Dernan, I mean, like he's on a four-fight win streak right now, which is really impressive for the division, and moved this camp full-time to a Coconut Creek American top team. Even if it's not full-time, I believe it is. But it's he's down there a lot more than he used to at the satellite gym in Atlanta. So I, I think that Cody Durden's live as always. The issue is that Tagir Ulan-Bekov comes from a very strong camp of wrestlers as well. I mean, out of Habib Nurmagomedov MMA, like those guys are just crazy with, with their wrestling skills. Um, and in addition to Tagir's wrestling, he does something that Cody Durden struggles at, and that's defending the neck. Tagir hunts the neck so well with guillotine chokes like crazy. I think until the end of time, I'm going to be betting on Cody Dernan to lose via submission because I think he's too tough to quit via strikes. I think the chin is pretty strong. Uh, we've seen him do well in striking matchups in the past, even in the kickboxing regional scene. Um, but yeah, I think the way to beat Cody Dernan is pretty simple. Uh, you have to defend the takedowns, which is hard, but like, you know, threaten the neck. And he may not be the first one that gets you. I was betting on Jake Hadley to win via submission because I thought that Hadley was going to do it. But again, British wrestling, and it, it it showed that Cody Durden's just so good in the top position that he can neutralize his opponents. I'm not convinced that he's going to be on top of Tagir Ulanbekov. I like Ulanbekov here at 8,300. Um, I, I like the guillotine. Uh, I like just what happens if Tagir takes down Cody Durden. He has that wrestling potential to do that. He is the better striker. Um, you know, and I think the immature Tagir Ulanbekov in years past is gone. I, I think like I was poking holes at his game, uh, but he still picked up victories over Bruno Silva and Alan Nascimento, two big names that I really like. Nate Manis can't stand that guy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I I'm 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 back in Tagir Ulanbekov here at 8300. I I think that he does it. You're the president of Nate Manis fan club. I mean, but I, I mean, the one thing is we have seen. I mean, the one is the inactivity of Tagir hasn't yep. fought in over a year. We have seen in two of his four fights has been taken down multiple times, taken down three times by Tim Elliott, which of course was a, a unanimous decision loss. Also taken down four times by Bruno Silva. I mean, look, I, the one knock on Cody Durham for a long time really was about that cardio. But you've seen since he's gone down to Coconut Creek, he seems to have fixed that hole uh, in his game. I mean, if you're looking for an underdog, I don't mind uh, Cody Durham, but obviously no. he's going to have to use his wrestling and, and get this matchup to the ground. If you tell me this thing's on the feet, I think this is, is Tagir's fight to lose totally all and, the way. But and also I, I understand quick, that. Just yeah. to, yep, sorry. Also, just real quick to note is that, you know, like, American top team, those guys are amazing at jiu-jitsu. So, like, Cody Durden is getting put in guillotines on the regular down there. So, like, yeah. he could be, like, rounding out that weakness a part of his game. I still like Tagir Ulan back off, and uh, we're on the same page with that fight. Next up, we got Andre Feely taking on Lucas Almeida. Feely is a minus 175 betting fair, plus 145 for Almeida. Feely, 8500 DK, $15 on FanDuel. And for Almeida, he is 7700 on DK and $14 on FanDuel, Pete. I mean, I, I'm one of the biggest backers of Andre Feely within his career. I do not want him to lose this fight against Lucas Almeida. I want him to go out there and have a breakthrough performance because I just think it's possible Lucas Almeida is a guy, again, this is a favorite who should win. 
but his opponent is live because we've seen just concerns about the favorite. Like Andre Feely sometimes will get chin-checked and rocked and hurt, and that's what Lucas Almeida can do. Like Andre Feely is so skilled in every department. His striking is excellent. His wrestling is excellent. His fight IQ sometimes goes out the window because he just enjoys fighting so much. But I just think that he's so damn good outside of you know the potential of just getting flatlined and getting knocked out. I think that he just styles on this guy, Lucas Almeida. I really do. I think that he's at one of the best price points on the slate. But the, on the flip side, like at 8500 that's an excellent price point. But on the flip side at 7700 that's a live dog. We've seen Lucas Almeida get destroyed and then come back outside of just like Pat Sabatini destroying him. And, and this is a guy who beat Michael Trezano in round three. You know, had a 15-minute war against Daniel Zell Huber. This is a this is a, a crazy fight to target, and like one way or another, I'm expecting it to be fireworks. I'm back in Andre Feely. He had a war with Nathaniel Wood, who I think is significantly better than Lucas Almeida everywhere. Um, both of them were knocked down in that bout, but like I, I'm back in Andre Feely. But sometimes he fights at the level of his competition instead of going out there and styling. And maybe I'm just, he's a constant guy I overrate. But I guess I'm going to do it again. 8,500 Andre Feely. Yeah, I'm on Feely on, on this one as well. And, uh, yeah, I do like the price point there as well. It could be a little bit of a, a nice little play there. And then our opening matchup, we got Martin Boudet taking on Shamil Gazov. Gazov plus 110, minus 130 for Boudet. Boudet, 8,400 on DK, $15 on FanDuel for Shamil. He's 7,800 on DK and $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, like, Shamil's a Dagestani wrestler for the division. It's super dangerous. He's so live for a round, maybe round and a half, as you and I talked about pre-show. Um, I just I think that his wrestling and his top game and his ground and pound is ferocious. Can he get Martin Boudet there? I think Martin Boudet is just very well-rounded and UFC-tested. I like getting behind these guys that have UFC wins, like, it seems so silly, but just being under the, the UFC banner, under the UFC lights, and proving that you can pick up wins, I'd almost you know, be willing to just always back these veterans against these UFC debut fighters because there's a lot that goes into it, and you already know. They've proven it to you, and I feel like the large majority are going to walk, you know, come through for us. Um, is Martin Boudet the best fighter? No. I, I think that he's pretty solid for the division. He's tough. He likes to pin his opponents against the cage. I think this could be a lot of, you know, octagon control split between the both because they just keep reversing position. Um, it could be a hug fest. It could be a very, very ugly heavyweight fight. I'm not convinced the finish happens. Um, Martin Boudet's been in some stinkers in the past, and I, I'm kind of expecting the same. Shamil has all the, the wrestling potential in the world, um, but, like, I, I think that Martin Boudet is going to pick up a decision win here. Um, and it's a fight that I'm kind of just okay getting away from. I Initially, I was so interested in the underdog because of his wrestling potential. And I'm like, hold on, am I jumping the gun? Because I just don't know. I don't think like he's going to be able to do what he does to most people in the UFC against Martin Boudet. 
Yeah, I like Martin Boudet in this spot as well. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe he can get a third-round finish with Shamil maybe wearing mm. out there, uh, something to kind of pay attention to there. But I just don't see myself really getting to this, even though ownership is is somewhat low here. Uh, let's talk into our straight-up fight picks here. Uh, main event, uh, I will go underdog number one in Colby Covington. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go Leon Edwards. Uh, I will go Pantoja in the co-main. Pantoja. Rachmanov. Rachmanov. Patty. Patty Pimblet. Uh Give me uh, Bryce. Bryce Mitchell. Jacoby. Oh, Jacoby. Uh, give me underdog number two in Carol Hosa. Oh, man. I'm going to still say Aldana. Uh, Garbrandt. I'm going to go Kelleher. O'Neal. O'Neal. Underdog number three, Cody Durden. Interesting. I'm going to go Ulan Bekoff. I'll go Feely. Feely. And Boudet. Uh, Boudet. Price, price picks, there's only three price picks that I'm really on. Less than 98.5 fantasy score on Leon Edwards. Under 10.5 fight time minutes on Pantoja. And more than nine and three quarter fight time minute on Rachmanov. Interesting. I like. Them. I mean, I, I think it, it's it's a lot of good numbers out there. I mean, other ones that I would potentially, um, you know, look at over there is the over 37 and a half significant strikes on Bryce Mitchell. Jacoby, 11 and a half fight time minutes. I could really go either way on that one. Um, I could see that being a 15 minute fight, but also I could see someone getting knocked out in the first round. Um I would say the under 12 and a half fight time minutes on Cody Garbrandt, even though does has a recipe to go over, uh, over one and a half takedowns for O'Neal. Um, I would say the under one and a half takedowns on Ulan Bechtoff. I think he tried to keep that one on the feet. I don't think he goes into the wrestling world in terms of that one. Um, and uh, I'd probably say more than the 11 and a half fight time minutes. So those are just kind of leans, not really uh, plays I really love over there. On prize picks. Uh, let's get some questions that have came in over on our Discord channel. It's a great way to put there. Uh, Tristan coming in with his usual questions. The best leverage plays, best takedown upside, and ranking the 9K options. Uh, best leverage play to me, I think you have to look at Brian Cal... Uh, excuse me. Cody Garbrandt and Bryce Mitchell as your leverage plays in terms of high salary favorite fighters. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. <clears throat> um, in terms of uh, takedown Upside in terms of this one, I think you got to look Covington, Pantoja, Rachmanov, Mitchell, Durden, O'Neill. I agree. <laughs> uh, ranking the 9K fighters here. So our 9K fighters, we got Rachmanov at 9,700, Patty at 9,400, Jacoby at 9,100, and Garbrandt at 9,000. Um, I, I think you have to put Rachmanov number one, even though the price point's high, and he's going to score a ton of points to be optimal. But to me, he would probably be my number one. Number two, good Lord, two, three, four. I could have these in any any order, Pete. Um, I have it the same way DraftKings has it. Shavkat, Patty, Jacoby. Cody. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, but to me, two through four could go any of three different ways. Mm -hmm. There's not there's not really one that I would say I have a, a huge um, thought process on there. I want to make sure. Uh, value plays underneath 8K on DraftKings. 
Under 8K. Well, we kind of laid out a lot of the underdogs that we like. Um, Durden's always live. Almeida's live against the guy who could just be constantly overrated. Royable in the in the co-main. Carol Hosa because of the volume. Kelleher because of the question marks. Menafield. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of underdogs that really could come through. So, it All seems right. crazy to me, but... I'm going to lean with the favorites, but I'm going to have to sprinkle my ownership. And I almost feel like, obviously, you have to get the underdogs right, right? Like, that, that's that's essential. But I almost feel like it's get the favorites right this week. Like, you I, have to find who's going to score the most out of these favorites. And that, to me, is always the trouble situation. And then mix and match the underdogs. I would throw a sprinkle on Josh Emmett as well. If he can keep that thing on the feet, I mean, we know the power that he has. Uh, there is right hands, and of course, uh, you know, even though I do like Mitchell, Mitchell stepped up here on court on short notice. Uh, core three plays on DraftKings. Um, I wish it could just go Patty and Shopcott. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean it's, just, it's so it's so it's such huge. I mean, I kind of you know what I. Man, I, I might say Pantoja just because of the takedown upside and, yeah. and, and finishing the fight in, in the first two rounds. I mean, I would probably start there. Um, the other two core plays for me, you're going to call me crazy, Cody Garbrandt. I, I just I got a feeling that Cody, that he pulls this one off here. Um, and, and I think, think he I knocks mean, him out. Yeah, I, I think he plays. I, I don't. Do you think I don't he think, knocks out Keller. I don't, I don't think Cody. I don't think Cody plays the ground game in this one. I think he's going to try to. I think he wants. I think he. I could see the thought process of if I can style this guy, this gets me the big fight I'm looking for. I'm not huge on hey, Brian Keller either. I'm just not big on Brian Keller. I'm not either. That's the thing. It's like a lot of these fighters. I'm not big on, but it's. it's and, like, I, I mean, if I was going to say a third core play. I don't know if I say that core. I like. I, I I'd probably go Colby Covington just because of the takedown upside, and, yeah, and the price point. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. FanDuel cheapies. Uh. Brand Royval at twelve dollars definitely is one. Um. That sticks out to me as a cheapie. Minifield obviously huge upside at ten dollars. Uh, Kelleher eleven dollars just because of you know if say uh, Garbrandt does go for a takedown and he can try to catch him in a guillotine that one sticks out to me. Um, I don't mind Andre Feely at fifteen dollars, not necessarily a cheapie, but uh, that those are kind of the cheapies that score the fan. Apparently, Fanduel's uh, so the man, good lord, I, I don't play at Fanduel anymore. I'm just being honest. Their top contest three thousand to first place. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I, someone put it over on Discord, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it, it's really tough to – those contests just really don't get to you. I mean, they, they just don't get to you. Um, no. We'll go over um, – uh, Shine X, uh, we gave our thoughts on Colby Covey's comment uh, earlier on the show, so you can check out that. Don't want to necessarily sit here and, and repeat that. Um, uh, Sam, I have no idea what you say. Please trust the OnlyFans fade this card. Who's got only fans? Uh, well, well, we have what two two female fights? Who's got it? Oh, Lipsky, she's got her. Oh, she does. Oh, okay. I don't uh, know. She should, but no clue. 
look, I'll say this. I do know that OnlyFans is actually paying a lot of those female fighters to be on the platform. I, I've heard, uh, yeah. I've I mean, heard I, that I, one. We know, I know guys that have an OnlyFans freaking sponsorship. So, like. Hey, hey, dude, watch regional MMA. A lot of regional MMA has, yeah, so has an OnlyFans acor- according to her, uh According to her Instagram bio, she does have an OnlyFans. Oh, okay. I I remember Sam has mentioned that before, but <laughs> I want to know his numbers on it. He might be. I, just, might be I, I don't on. know. Man, I don't know if I want to go with that. Well, I mean, who what's is your, it? What, uh, what's your logic behind it? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. what was it? Um, uh, well, okay. The girl who fought. Right. Um, Hold on, we're down the we're down the rabbit hole a little bit right now. I gotta say it because I just clicked on her opposition. Okay, a little weird, a little weird. Okay, Ariana Lipsky <laughs> has an OnlyFans, right? Yeah. Okay, you guys ready for this? Went to Casey O'Neill's Instagram. She has a link thing, so I clicked on the link. She's got all this stuff, merch, Twitter, Instagram, feet pics. PayPal me. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we doing here? So who are we faded? Feet girl or, or OnlyFans girl? <laughs> Come on, guys. Sam, how do you notice? Stop. So I, maybe we're fading the, both, the, this, the fight because... <laughs> I don't oh know, man! Well, you remember? I don't know if you um, the girl who fought a couple weeks ago, um, Perez. Oh, she was oh, on oh, Aileen she, Perez. Yes, yeah, she went on Ariel's show um, like the next week, and she said she made more money on OnlyFans after the fight than she actually made in the fight. It's pathetic, right? It is pathetic. It's sad. Dude, it's, it's very sad. It, it's it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But uh, you know, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for for the podcast. Uh, I'll try to hop in that Discord tomorrow. I'm, I'm flying out a little earlier than normal because we've got some bad weather uh, coming into the Tampa Bay area. So uh, be up in uh, chilly Green Bay tomorrow I was night. Just gonna try- ask you, who are you guys playing? You guys playing yeah. Green Bay? Yeah, yeah, we're we're in Green Bay uh, on Sunday. So yeah, it's a. Uh, for a, a relatively warm Green Bay for this time of year, uh, lows in, lows in the 30s, highs in the 40s. So uh, I'll take that as a Florida boy going up to the north. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I'll try to hop in that to score. If I, if there's anything, any movements on some Prize Picks plays, I'll throw that in there. Also, uh, I'll I'll be diving into the props tonight and, and see maybe which uh, props I maybe want to throw a little sprinkle on. Thank you for the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. You know, that plus five twenty five money line in the third period. Lightning? Really? Yeah, I, I I was they, they were losing three to two, and I was like, let me just sprinkle over that Hard Rock app. Let's see what that li- live audience. I saw Moneyline plus five twenty five. I'm like, I'm throwing a sprinkle. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up winning seven to four. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. That's uh, I mean, and look, live betting is definitely the way to go in terms of mixed martial arts. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, we'll be back beginning of next year. That'll be our next MMA UFC event. Of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for the, this episode of the podcast. Of course, be sure to hit that thumbs up button, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all those things. We do appreciate that. So we will talk to you next time right here on the Fight HQ Podcast. <laughs>